few technical difficulties this morning, but uh, we're still up and running. The sound still works, so that's good, and the heat's working, so that makes us happy. Yes. Well, we all just came through the Christmas season. Uh, I was actually just talking with somebody last night saying, I really think that we should just go ahead and switch Christmas to January 25th. Because I think think it would be better to have two full months of Christmas season. I love Christmas. And, you know, you have this, like, beautiful time from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and then the rest of winter is, like, this barren wasteland of nothingness until spring finally arrives. So we could just extend that whole Christmas thing out further. It'd be great. But uh, we got through Christmas. Uh, some of us, that's kind of how we view it. We got through it. But uh, I love Christmas time. So, uh, but when... I don't know if you have this in your life. I know uh, I do uh, from time to time, but uh, what, you know, usually around the November, early December time frame, has anybody ever asked you, what do you want for Christmas? It's a great question, isn't it? I hate that question. I hate when somebody asks me, what do you want for Christmas? Not only does it show like, like a lack of concern or a lack of thought on their part to like actually think of a gift, but I think if I'm honest, the reason I hate the question so much is because I hate asking for things. That's just my personality. I do not like to ask for things. I hate to admit that I need something or I want something. And so to ask for it uh, puts me in a, in a prideful place that I don't, a lack of pride that I don't like. I'm a prideful person. So I like to think I'm self-sufficient. I can do everything myself. So I don't like answering that question uh, unless I know that what I'm going to ask for won't be an inconvenience for somebody. It won't, be, it won't inconvenience them to uh, ask for it and, and for them to give it to me, uh, which makes it pretty easy to ask God for things. Uh, when in prayer, uh, there is nothing that you can ask God that's too big of an ask for him uh, and to know that we're never an inconvenience for him. Uh, talk about it often, but I, I just I cannot illustrate enough how becoming a parent has completely transformed the way I view God because I look at my son or my daughter and think, man, sometimes like Kiara, she's like two and a half now and her personality is coming in strong. And there are some days like that girl, she, she is, unfortunately, both of our kids end up very much like their dad. And so they will argue about literally anything Like, Kiara will have something in her hand. I'm like, Kiara, put it down. I don't have it. And she'll look you dead in the face and claim she does not have whatever the thing is that you're telling her to put down. And uh, so some days, you know, you just look at them like, why are you the way that you are? But never since the day they were born have I not loved them. Like, just because they drive me nuts, just because Killian is bonkers. The other morning, we went through like four sessions of him sitting in his room because he just wouldn't stop throwing fits and still never lowered the amount of love I have for him. And when you think about yourself and your relation to God, he views us in an even more perfect love than that because by all means, there's no way that my love is perfect. But his is for us. You might have really messed up last year, this year, this week, this morning, 
And God still loves you. Like, even when I'm making Killian go to his room and sit in his room and, and, and you know, you go to ask him, like, what happened and he blames it on you like he did the other morning. Like, well, you, you're being difficult. And it's like, well, actually, it's you, buddy. <laughs> but uh, even in that moment, I still want his good. Like, I still want the best for him in that moment. I don't think like, well, I'm gonna vindictively you know, make you sit in your room for the next four hours because I wanna be mean to you. I, I still want him to get it. Why? Because I want the best for him. And God even more so. And so even as, as we've sang about it, as we talked about it in our missions moment, uh, everything is revolving around uh, this idea that when we ask God for things, it's his desire that he could provide his absolute best and our absolute best. Now, as we've talked about in the past, those two things don't always line up. Our idea of the best and his idea of the best because unfortunately there are times where the best thing for Killian is discipline and he needs that. It's not because I'm mean or because I, I want to be mean to him. It's because he needs to learn that there are, are things that aren't okay. And now I'm not saying that God, I, I don't n- know if I believe that God purposely disciplines us like a, like a father disciplines his child. Uh, I think he certainly allows us to experience the consequences of our decisions a lot of times. And then we turn around and, and we blame him for uh, disciplining us. But the reality is that when we ask God for things, we're never an inconvenience to him. It's never inconvenient for him to, to listen to us, especially in those moments when you know, we're desperate or, or, or when our heart is broken. He is right there like a good father with us. Today we're gonna be talking about prayer as petition. Basically what it means to ask God for things, to petition him. Now for many of us, that's what prayer is. We ask God for things. Now, if you've been following with us in, in the Lord's model of prayer, uh, and you'll hear me say that a lot because I refuse to call it Jesus or the Lord's prayer because he's not praying. He was giving us a model of prayer. And so as he gives us this model of prayer, first he starts with our Father. He starts in this place of relationship, and that's what it's about. It's about coming to God and acknowledging that he is our Father. So often, we come to him as if he's a vindictive father, as if uh, or a kid who's really messed up, like Killian, I love him. He is like the worst liar in the world, and I love it because you can see it all over his face. Like, I don't even have to know that he did something. You walk into the room, he's just got that look like, I messed up, and you might have caught me, and I'm not sure if you saw that. Like, that look, that's how we come to God sometimes, many times. For some of us, that's kind of like the default way, as if we've messed up and God's just looking to punish us. And that's not who he is. And so this morning we're gonna be talking about that. What does it mean to petition God? We know that we can do this because Jesus encourages us to do it in his model of prayer. It says in Matthew 6, 11, 
Give us today our daily bread. So we get to the part of the Lord's model of prayer where now we're actually asking for things. The first part of his model focuses on this like worshipful place to be. If we go to prayer in a, in a posture of worship, worshiping God for the relationship we have, for how good he is, for how big God is, for how powerful God is, and then we pray his will down to this earth. We ask God to do uh, things that are only possible because of who he is. We ask him to do those things on this earth and then we finally get to a place where we begin to ask. And I love his model of prayer. Uh, If I'm gonna uh, push a model of prayer, I'm just gonna go ahead and push Jesus' model of prayer. There's all those like acts model of prayer and like all these different things that people come up with models. I think we should, I don't know, just follow Jesus' model. Uh, It's probably pretty good. Uh, And so in his model though, you spend all this time worshiping, you spend this time reflecting on God And by the time you get to the place where you ask for things, it's like, oh yeah, hey God, by the way, I have a couple little things here for you. Regardless of how big they seemed when we came in, you spend time worshiping God for how powerful he is. You spend time in in that grateful, thankful place of the things that he's already done for you. And then when you get to ask, it's like, man, I know you're capable. I came in wondering if you loved me and now I know it because I would just spend some time worshiping you and worshiping with you. But this isn't the only uh, place that we're taught how to pray in the Bible. The Bible teaches us both the manner and the attitude that we should have in prayer. Like we talked about last week, if you were with us, uh, sometimes the encouragement is like, it doesn't matter what you say, just start talking to God. That is an okay encouragement for prayer, especially if you're a new believer. But if you've been saved for years, and you still are just throwing up like flippant statements and just you don't even care, you just like say things, you blurt things out to God, that shouldn't be the sum total of your prayer life. There's an actual model Jesus gives us. There's a pattern of prayer. There's an attitude of prayer. There's, there's many different things. So that's what this 40 days of prayer is all about. Uh, if you'll notice, the, the title of each sermon is prayer as this. It was prayer as kingdom partnership, prayer as in today's, prayer as petition. Uh, Prayer is this multifaceted thing that can encompass so many different things. And so this morning we're gonna be talking about petitioning God. The Bible teaches us primarily to petition God boldly when we pray. Now this is one of those areas that Again, when, you, when you're in a corporate prayer setting or uh, if you've been at prayer meetings or even when you hear people pray, so often people pray these meek prayers because they come to God, they view him as you're this awesome big creator, I'm this terrible, horrible sinner, and so I come in this like meek place where I, I don't feel like I deserve to ask God for things. And so because of that, we don't ask God for big things. We don't ask for the bigger things in life. We don't ask God for the moon and the stars. We just ask him for these little moles. Just, just fix this little, this little speed bump in my life because we're not even sure if he's gonna do that. In his life, his death and resurrection, Jesus showed himself to be a loving and sympathetic savior who genuinely cares about our needs. There should be no question in our minds if God cares enough. And that's one of the things, again, using fatherhood as an analogy, one of the things I love is that I'll discipline Killian and 20 seconds later, he's like snuggled up, wrapped around me because he knows I care. He doesn't question my love for him. He knows I love him even when 
discipline has to happen. And that should be our view with God, that when we go into his presence, we know we are loved children of the Father. He loves us more than we'll ever know. Hebrews chapter four, uh, verses 14 and 15 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. The writer of Hebrews concludes that from Christ's example that we can boldly pray to Jesus and expect him to help in our time of need. Next verse, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. If you know someone has gone through the same problem that you're going through, they've gone through or a very similar struggle to what you're going through right now, and they understand the struggle that you're having, you're far more likely to be bold in asking for their help because they get it. They understand. If you're struggling, say, like in your marriage and you know another couple who has really struggled in their marriage and they've gotten to a good place, it's so much easier to go to them and say, hey, how'd you do that? How'd you get to where you are? I knew you guys were in a bad place a couple years ago, but now you you seem so good. You're not gonna go to the couple that's been married for three months and ask them like, oh man, my marriage is on the rocks. What do I do? They don't know. They're still figuring it out themselves. You go to someone who's been through it. And that's what the writer, uh, author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying Jesus has been through stuff. Man, he experienced heartache. He experienced hardship. He knows the weaknesses of humanity intimately because he became human. And if you think, well, like, whoa, he was still God. You can't imagine, but try to imagine being the God of all creation and becoming human. That alone is is a greater struggle than you'll ever know. Because you might have, you know, I don't know when you ever, like, you have the flu or you feel down and out and you feel, like, super, super weak and you think, like, oh, this is so difficult. Your best to your weakest moment is a far less stretch than being God and becoming human. So he knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to be weak because he's been in flesh. And so he understands that. Jesus understands what we're going through. He sympathizes with us, the author of Hebrews is saying. And because Jesus is able to sympathize with us, because he is able to see our problems through our eyes, we can boldly go to him in prayer. We don't have to go in this meek manner. Now, some people, they think it's out of reverence that they go to God not in a bold manner, but the Bible's telling us right here, go to God in a bold way. Ask for big things. You know, you're asking for uh, that your neighbors would, you know, somehow miraculously through osmosis, you know, come to know Jesus and go to church. Man, ask for your whole neighborhood. Boldly ask God for big things. Now, you wanna talk about a bold prayer. We actually, if you're reading the Bible through the year with us, We just read through this and it gets me every time. Like we read stories sometimes in the Bible and we don't realize the magnitude or the significance of some of these things because 
we look back, generally speaking, into the Bible from hindsight. Like we know a lot of things. We've read, you know, we know the end of the story. Jesus wins. And so sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we don't realize, I don't know that anybody's ever done that before. So we're going to read a little story uh, of Abraham uh, in a bold place with God. Like I like to argue with God, because that, but that's because he's not standing right next to me. I mean, if he showed up right here, I'd be like, all right, you know, you get your way. I'll back down. Uh, but because he's not standing right there, sometimes it makes it a little easier to argue with him. Like David in his Psalms, like if Jesus sat right there, I don't think David's writing some of them Psalms, you know. <laughs> he's gonna go ahead and back down on some of those and just do the, like, the worshipful ones. But, and God's okay with us arguing with him. But look at this, Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 to 33. It says, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward, just just that. He's standing by God. And it says, Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? Can you imagine the boldness this takes to say, God, uh, this doesn't seem congruent with your character, sir. You're about to do something and I don't think that's who you are. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, now, for me, I mean, that, that's it. I'm going, I'm going to bed. I'm going to go hide. You know, I, I made it through. God didn't strike me dead. But Abraham doesn't stop. Then Abraham answered, since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He is debating. He's negotiating with God. He replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Okay, Abraham, give it up. Then he spoke to him again. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, I will not do it on account of 40. And he said, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said, since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. And he said, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of 10. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. That is bold. That is bold. He goes to God, and he begins to question God's character, and God doesn't strike him dead. Why? Because he is a loving father. Amen. He gets it. Notice what Abraham's asking. He's asking God not to destroy righteous people. Do you think that is maybe possibly in line with God's will to not destroy righteous people? Abraham doesn't go to God and ask him like, hey, will you just save my family? Yeah, I got uh, you know, lots over there. His wife and his kids, they're over there. Can, you, know, you can just make sure that they all make it out okay. Like I don't care about everybody else. Abraham's just going and saying, this doesn't seem like it fits, God. 
You're talking about destroying there. What if there are righteous people there? You're not going to destroy everybody, even the righteous people, and treat them like the uh, wicked people that are there. How is Abraham able to pray so boldly? If you've ever read that story and you've not actually asked yourself that question, then you're reading the Bible the wrong way. Because when you read a story like that, you should pause and say, whoa, what is going on here? How can he do that? And I would argue it's because he understands the heart of God. And he knows that God wouldn't want to destroy righteous people. He matches the will of God in that place. Now, I would also argue this God knew that conversation was going to happen, and he allowed Abraham that space to kind of pursue that so that he could experience what it is to, to boldly ask God for such audacious things. So there are two reasons that we can pray boldly. Because God understands us and because we understand God, at least to the limited degree that we can. And so when we go to God, especially when we're in God's will, man, we can pray boldly because we know we're just asking God for the same thing that he wants. And he loves to hear that. Like when, you know, Killian or Kiara ask like, hey, dad, can we go get ice cream? Yes, my child. (laughs) Our wills have aligned. We want the same thing, you and I. I love to match those requests. And that's how we should go to God. Matching his will, matching his heart. And then, you know, our kids, especially Killian, he's learned he boldly can ask to go to over the top. He, he knows that that's not like an out there request or that he's got to come in any meek manner because he knows mama's going to back him up on that one. So he's got some support there. But the more we know God's character, the more boldly we can approach him in prayer for the things that we know are close to his heart. We can boldly ask God that our neighbors, that our coworkers, that our family members will receive Jesus. I mean, you saw a couple weeks ago I got to baptize my brother and his family and it was like one of the things that God hit me with is like I've always prayed for my brother that he would come to know Jesus. He's the only other family member that knows Jesus in my family. But I gotta be honest, I didn't have the faith, I didn't pray bold enough to ask for his whole family. And you saw his whole family got baptized that day. And that like just rocked my world. It was like not just him, God gave me more. If, just imagine if I had prayed bolder prayers. I could have celebrated, God answered my prayer as bold as it, as audacious as it was, as insane as that prayer was. God rescued that whole family, but he did it anyhow because he's God and he loves us. So we're taught to pray boldly, but how else are we taught to pray? Understanding that God alone is all-powerful. He's the only all-powerful being. He has complete authority over our lives, our judgment, and our salvation. Last week, 
we talked about prayer as kingdom partnership and, and how uh, we are not the majority stakeholder in that relationship. You know, we don't invite God to be a part of what we're doing. We open our eyes and see where God's working. He's the one with the authority. He's the one with the power. He's the one with the knowledge. James 4.12 says, There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? James teaches us to pray to God in humility, recognizing that his authority and position are so much greater than our own. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. A humble prayer of petition seeks to make uh, known our desires to God while submitting ourselves to his plans no matter what. Have you ever been in that place where you're, you're praying and, and, and you're asking God for something and, and you acknowledge like, man, I don't know if this is your will, God. I, I, like, I don't know your heart well enough to know. I don't know your will. I haven't spent enough time with you. That sometimes that's just the honest truth is we haven't spent the time with him. We don't know what his will is, but we're still asking for something and we can do that, but we should come in a, in a spirit of humility. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses six to 10 says, for if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that, no, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressure because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, there are very, very few people, and I'm not one of them, that I can say they get this verse. I'm just to be honest, I'm just too prideful to get this verse yet. I'm still working on it. I'd love to be there. But I still boast in my strengths. Man, you get me talking, and I will boast to you about how good I am at something. It won't take long, trust me. You will probably, you'd be... It'd be a rare occurrence if you heard me boasting about something I'm really terrible at or boasting because of my weakness. And most of us are that way, if we're honest. We're not gonna go around like, hey, yeah, I'm a terrible singer, look at me, I, no one wants to hear me sing, I'm terrible. Uh, I do say that because it is true. But we don't boast in our weaknesses. I mean, think about what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I was so stinking prideful that God had to give me a thorn in the flesh. Because he was. Read, if you ever, if there's a good study for you to do, if you like to study, if you like to, to dig into something, have Paul's letters arranged chronologically for yourself. And then begin to read even the New Testament letters and you'll see his heart soften as he writes. And as in some of his later writings, he's far more understanding and gracious. And that's the design of God that we would see that. If you don't know, your New Testament is only organized from like smallest book to largest book uh, or largest to smallest. 
Uh, there was absolutely no thought to chronological in there. So um, all of the epistles and letters, and if you didn't notice that, they, get, they go from larger to smaller. Uh, so read them in that way and you'll understand. Man, he started to, God softened him with this thorn in the flesh. Now many people would believe it was because he was partially blind and he couldn't see very well. And that was part of his uh, thorn in the flesh. Uh, it's pretty hard to be prideful when someone has to like guide you around because it's not like they had you know, handicapped accessible everything back in Paul's time. And he couldn't even write his own letters as what many people believe. Other people had to write his letters for him. But he gets to this place where he begins to understand that's when we're weak, that's when we're strong. Because his strength begins to come through for us. And that is when it's a beautiful thing. When you know that God is using you and it's his power pouring out through you, there's nothing greater than that. And so that's why Paul finally gets to that place where he seems like he gets it, where he begins to celebrate. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not a very political person, but uh, I hear people sometimes getting into the political conversation or something else about like, oh, we're being persecuted. Praise the Lord. Because guess what? That's when the real Christians start to rise to the top. As some people say like, oh, COVID ruined the church. No, COVID thinned the church out. It filtered the church. The ones that want Jesus, the ones that want to know him, that want a deeper relationship, that desperately want more of him, they're not, they didn't give up because they can't. <laughs> some of you know, you, like you can't just give up. You couldn't just be like, ah, you know what? I'm just gonna ride this one out until, we, until I die. I'm not gonna do anything more for Jesus. You'd make it about seven minutes because you know him, you know his heart, you love him, and you want to be a part of him. Man, we didn't lose a bunch of Christians through COVID. We lost a bunch of people who treated church as a normalcy, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm, maybe that's not a popular opinion, but I'm okay with that. Now we know who needs Jesus more. Now we know who we can evangelize and who we can talk to about God and who needs to hear about the kingdom and the freedom and the power of God. Because if they're not invested, and I'm not saying that like, oh, if you don't go to church, you're not a Christian. But if you're not plugged in a community, you need more of Jesus. Because Jesus is a community person. Everything in the New Testament, there's nothing about individualism in the New Testament. It's all about community. We, us, unity, all that stuff. You need other people for unity to happen. And so that's what it's about. But if you're following this morning and you're not asleep, this leads to a little bit of a problem. Hopefully you're like, well, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. First you say that we need to pray boldly. Now you're saying we need to pray humbly. How do those two match up? How can we pray boldly and humbly at the same time? Because an attitude of thankfulness grounds our boldness with humility. Just in case you didn't get that. An attitude of thankfulness grounds our boldness with humility. Prayers of thankfulness flow from someone who has come to know God's heart. One of my favorite uh, two verses in the Bible, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why is this my favorite? Because of the way that it tells us to pray here in verse six. It says, uh, part, also part of the reason of, in Philippians is even in his own letter, he's talking about how anxious he is. So it's not like, hey, I've mastered this. It's all good. He's like, man, I'm really, really anxious. And then he gets to this place and he says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. That's why I love Jesus' model of prayer. Because before you get to the anxious part and asking God for all these things and asking God to do things because you're really anxious, you spend time in worship. You spend time thanking God. You get into that place of thankfulness and gratefulness for who he is and how big and how awesome God is and how powerful he is. And then with thanksgiving, we make our petitions. And man, if you're ever really stressed, really anxious, the best cure for that is worship. Worship him. Get into a place where you're, and I'm not just saying music, whatever worship looks like for you. For me, sitting on a kayak is worship. I'm not just being like glib about that. Like It's honest truth. I would just sit there and just worship God. Whatever worship looks like for the way that God has wired you, worship him and watch as all of a sudden you don't feel quite as anxious. See, too often we we view prayer as, well, I'm just gonna be anxious in God's presence. That's not prayer. Just like voicing all of your anxiety and saying amen is not prayer. Spend the first part in worship And then when you get to those things that used to make you anxious, watch how there's a confidence, a boldness that will come over you because of thankfulness that you can then let let that stuff out. So why should we be thankful? Well, first, because God is our sustainer. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. It's in him. He sustains us. Because Jesus has saved us from our pasts. 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14 says, One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Man, sometimes all we need to do is think back to who we were before we met Jesus. And that will automatically plunge us into a, a period of thanksgiving, of thankfulness. It's one of the things that some of us who came to know Jesus a little later in life, uh, that's a benefit that we have. We can look at it and be like, whew, man, I know where I would be if Jesus hadn't showed up. And it's either prison or dead, most likely dead. And I'm, that's just the God's honest truth about my past. And so it's so easy when you start to focus on that man, like God is good. Even in a tough season, even when things are really difficult, God, you rescued me from who I was and who I was becoming. God is good. We can be thankful because of God's timing. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed 
and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, no one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might. Amen. His timing is perfect. Sometimes we can think like, oh, like God's this big cosmic being and he doesn't really care and he's like really slow to answer prayers or he just doesn't like care to do it quickly. He's sovereign. And so he knows the perfect moment to answer our prayers. And sometimes in our anxiety, we think the perfect moment is now, now, Jesus, now. And he says, no, no, just hold on. Just hold on a minute. I think about that sometimes when, you know, again, one of my children is like super anxiety. Like they, they're like throwing a fit because they want something. And it's like, honestly, I was gonna give it to you until you threw the fit. Now you gotta wait until you're done throwing your fit. Then I can give it to you because then you're in a good place and you can receive this thing that you wanted. But if I just give him things every time he throws a fit, then what's he gonna do? He's gonna throw more fits. Let's be honest. If God gave us every time, uh, something that we wanted every time we threw a fit, guess what we'd do? We'd throw more fits. We think we're more advanced than children, but sometimes that's about all we are. And we can be that way in our prayer life. And so God sometimes has to wait. And I believe, this is my personal belief, that God, his desire, well, his word tells us this, that he wants to bless us. His desire is to bless us. And I think my personal belief, many of us aren't blessed because we couldn't receive it or it would ruin us. If God gave us more, we'd be just like Israel. Every time God blessed Israel in the Old Testament, what happened? They got prideful. They forgot about him. They began to worship the things of God instead of God himself, and they turned their back on him. And God is sovereign, and he knows, man, if I gave you that car, if I gave you that job, if I gave you that that relationship, it's gonna ruin you. Like I said last week, some of the best answers to prayer I've ever gotten were no. No, you can't, I can't. And man, I look back and praise God, he said no. When we petition God with a thankful heart, we're able to do two things simultaneously. We can submit to God's will even as we ask him for help. And we can ask with boldness because we know that God always seeks our greatest good. And when we believe that, we can go so much bolder into his presence. So how do we put this into practice? James 4.2 uh, tells us that we need to make sure we're actually asking for things. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. That's something that needs to set in for some of us. We complain about the things that God hasn't done, but how often have you gone to him and asked for it? Do you just stop after that first time or the second time or the third time? And there's some things that God wants to bless us with, but he wants us to ask for it. He wants us to pursue it. He wants us to petition him for those things. We also need to investigate our motives. Look at the next verse. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. And you might say, not an evil desire, I just want to be happy. That's an evil desire because it's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. It's all about what you want. And God is saying, man, your happiness, that's a byproduct. Happiness is not the goal. 
Making happiness the goal was an evil desire. Making God's kingdom the goal is great. And I promise you, you put his kingdom first, seek him first and his righteousness, happiness will be a byproduct. Not all the time. And sometimes, that's why the Bible tells us, commands us to be joyful. Because we need to look for joy sometimes. Because sometimes life is difficult. And God is not in the flashy blessings that these TV preachers tell you that you should have. If you follow God, then everything will go well. And you haven't walked with Jesus long enough. Because sometimes when you serve God, it doesn't go so well. And that's part of his blessing. It's why Paul can say, I celebrate the persecutions, the weakness, the, 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 mocking, the, the mocking and, and the things that he experienced. He can say, I'm thankful for the trials and the tribulations. Because every single time it teaches us more about God. And you've gotten to a good place in your faith when you can look back at some of the most tragic things and say, thank you, God. If nothing else, thank you for meeting me in that place. I don't know about you, but sometimes the hardest things in my life have been the closest I've ever been to God. It stinks that it's that way, but it tends to be true. And some of the most tragic and and tough times, that's when we're the closest with Jesus because that's when our desperate dependence upon him becomes more evident and more clear. Remember that faith is a condition for answered prayer. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Now, I do want to remind us, because when you read a verse like that, it can seem like, oh, you know, Pastor Bruce is becoming a TV preacher. You can have whatever you want, just ask for it. Uh, it's not the way it works. I don't know why I you know, use like a Texas accent when I say that, but uh, I guess TV preachers are Texan. I don't know. Uh, But remember, most importantly, to align your will to God's will in your prayer time. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. It's about aligning our will. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the blessing are not the things that we get from God. The biggest blessing you'll ever get is your will aligning to his will. When you start to want what God wants, that's the greatest blessing you'll ever get in life. Because you begin to to be satisfied with the results that Jesus wants. You begin to stop asking for happiness and you begin to ask for kingdom advancement. You want his kingdom. You want the the darkness pushed back. You want people to know Jesus. You want what God wants. And when God begins to do those things, man, the joy that will fill your heart because he is matching your will. Your will is matching his will. It's a beautiful thing. Submit yourself to God's priorities for you not your own. So this week, this year, the rest of your life, when you go to petition God, go boldly, but go humbly with a thankful heart. Make your requests made known to God. And it says the peace that we'll get from that will transcend all understanding. That's the promise. And so if we learn to align our will, how do we align our will to his? Spend more time with him. You know, the more Jackie and I, my wife and I spend time together, the more our wills align. 
the more we want the same thing because we spend more time together. And so if you're wondering, like, I don't know what God wants, you need to spend more time with him. And that's what this 40 days is all about. Spend more time with Jesus. If no other time this year, these 40 days, set aside extra time to spend time with the Lord, to spend time with God. Fall in love with prayer. And it will improve your life better than any other resolution you can make this year. Falling in love with prayer will change your life. Learn how to worship him. Learn how to partner with him. Learn how to petition him in the way that he tells us to. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are so good to us and that when we go to you in prayer, we can go knowing that you love us, that you want our best. You don't just want good for us. You want our best. And because you are sovereign and because we know you are sovereign and because we know that you see tomorrow better than we see yesterday, we can come to you in a bold manner and we can humbly ask you to do things. And when our will is aligned to yours, God, that we would want what you want, that our heart would be in line with your heart. What a blessing that is. So Lord, this, this week, this year, Lord, as we learn what it is to pray the way that you gave us a model to pray, I pray that it would transform our prayer life, thereby transforming the rest of our life that we would begin to see you do big things because we begin to ask for big things, that we boldly go before you and we ask for big, huge, crazy, audacious things because we know that's your heart. Your heart isn't to rescue people in a small trickle. Your heart is to push back the darkness in this town that hundreds, thousands would come to know you. So would we join you in that? Begin to petition you for the things that your heart wants, that your will would be done on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a great week. I encourage you to make your way on over to the fellowship hall. We'll have our lunch and then our meeting. So again, you don't have to be a member. Just join us over there. We'll have a great time.